Welcome to the Black Mind Garden, the podcast that helps you remap your mind and retrain your brain and be more flexible and fluent in your life. This podcast is about planting new seeds that help you remap your mind so that you can master your inner voice, expand your listening and communication, and produce unimaginable results in your life. I am your host, Dr. Maisha. Hey, have you ever thought about learning NLP or hypnosis or even being a coach? Even if you simply learn the skills of coaching, it could come in handy everywhere and in every area of your life. Our mind remapping NLP coach training will give you mastery over language, helping you to improve your confidence, communication, coaching, and leadership. So if you're committed to removing unconscious blocks so you can consciously elevate your performance in every area of life, join our next training. Schedule and training interest call at remapmymind.today. That's remapmymind.today. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of the Black Mind Garden, where we remap minds so you can create a life you design. If you don't know who I am, if you're not already following me, I'm Dr. Maisha. And if you don't already know, a lot of what I talk about stems around communication, emotional intelligence, and psychological safety. And I talk about things that are relevant to both the organization, both relevant at the organizational level, at the leadership level, as well as in our personal lives. So if you listen and you already know me, you know that I like to chunk all the way up to big picture and I like to chunk down and I like to, you know, go across various um, context because I believe that much of communication, all of communication and the importance of being emotionally fluent and creating safety, emotional safety, psychological safety is applicable both at the organizational level, all the way down to community, family unit, and the individual uh, relationship level. And so I wanted to chat today a bit about this concept of emotional intelligence and to really go into its relationship to mitigating harm and how specifically it does that. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with emotional intelligence, it is the way that we recognize, honor, name, and communicate our emotions. So the way we recognize, the way we name, the way we um, accept and honor, and the way we interact and regulate our emotions when we're interacting with others. And I think particularly as we talk about the ways in which emotional intelligence can mitigate harm today, I want to focus on emotional regulation. Now, before I get into that element, what is important to understand is that this idea of emotional intelligence, and I like to sort of reframe it as emotional fluency, 
this idea of emotional intelligence has been around for a really long time. And even from before it was called emotional intelligence. And it's often a very overlooked skill, both at the organizational level and oftentimes at the individual level. What I see now is that more and more people are beginning to understand this concept of emotional intelligence. However, when you're day to day in life and you're getting caught up in the doing and you're getting caught up in particularly in this state of survival, we often default to our primal instinct. And while there's nothing wrong with instinct, there is a time to be aware of putting space between that instinct and the reaction. And that is where this emotional intelligence comes into play. Most people or most times what happens is that we feel something and depending on how you process, because remember, we all have these different mental models. We all process information very differently. Depending on how you process information, a person either reacts outwardly or retreats. And there's always an internal reaction, initial reaction. And then there is what the person does externally. And what having this emotional intelligence serves to do is to be able to connect yourself, connect with yourself, connect with your internal guidance system for you to understand what is going on so that you can make the next best communication or move that causes the least amount of harm. And so before you can regulate and communicate, you must be aware. And that is why you have these various elements of emotional intelligence. The awareness always comes first. And when I teach about this in uh, leadership rooms and, and in classrooms, when I teach about this in the realm of my trainings, I often talk about, well, what are the ways that we can recognize emotions? And that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole podcast in and of itself. And perhaps we will grace that. And for today, I want to talk about this idea of emotional regulation and what that is. It is the ability to put a pause between that experience of the emotion and the reaction or the behavior. And it takes on many forms. And if you can imagine where most people feel the emotion immediately speak or immediately react, quite a bit of harm can be done inside of those interactions. And we see it out in the world. We see it out in the world on a macro level with the kind of violence that happens. And I think that is why it's important to understand the, the gravity of some of the, the laws around firearms that are happening right now. However, not to detract, it is, it is very important to understand that when we are not able to put that pause between what we experience in our emotion and the next reaction, 
then there is a great risk for causing harm, physical, emotional, psychological harm in others. And if we look at this from the standpoint, I'm going to start on the personal side, and we look at this from the standpoint of personal relationships, we can see. And, and I think that what most people are could potentially miss is not necessarily the physical harm that can happen. Although, especially when it comes to parent-child relationship, that physical harm can be detrimental. However, the emotional and the psychological harm that can be done with not putting a pause between your emotions and your words, not putting a pause between your emotions and even your nonverbal responses and reactions. So that is relevant to the parent-child relationship, to the spousal or intimate partner relationship. We talk about this space of domestic violence and you know it that is a very complicated that has a very complicated dynamic and cycle it's not as simple as emotional regulation although that is a big component but a lot of times it's about control and then there's sort of the insecurity with the person who is the perpetrator and that gets projected onto the person who is uh being abused. And so there, and that's, even that is an oversimplification of the dynamic. However, one of the, the, the foundations that a person who potentially is an abuser may not have learned as a child is that space of emotional regulation. And we must understand that as people who are modeling for young people, we are modeling we're either modeling the ability to emotionally regulate or we're modeling the absence of that. And, and that is very important for what we're teaching our next generation. And understand that many people weren't taught this. I'm of the generation X and there was nothing in my upbringing around emotional regulation. I learned that as an adult and still, still have to actively practice it. Let me emphasize that emotional regulation is not something that you learn and then you put it on the shelf. It is something that must be actively practiced on a regular basis, okay? And when I say emotional regulation, what do I even mean by that? Because that even can be, let's even break this down even more. When we feel this emotion, we, when, when there is emotion that happens and we recognize in ourselves, a lot of times before we recognize it in our mind, we can recognize it in our body. This is where labeling emotions becomes important because oftentimes before you get to an emotion that is extreme enough to cause harm, there is an emotion that happens before that. For example, there's anger. But before that, there may be frustration. And before that, there may be irritation. And before that, there may be annoyance. So we have to be able to recognize what is happening in our bodies before it gets to that extreme level. Because once it gets to that extreme level, that the ability to pull back the reaction is much more challenging. The ability to communicate the what's happening in a in a way that uh, is not harmful is is much more difficult. So you, we want to begin 
to recognize what is happening before the extreme emotion occurs. All right. As an example, if I am speaking with my team or my colleague and we're in a conversation and I'm starting to feel this feeling, what I feel in my chest, sort of a, this sort of rising feeling in my chest, once it gets to about my throat, I know that I need to speak and say something because there is a negative emotion that's happening that if I do not say anything, then eventually it'll come out in a way that's not useful. And it's happened that I've been able to have these really adult conversations with my colleague and my partner um, who we do anti-racism trainings together. And then whenever you all, whenever you're in business together, when you're, whenever you're in a partnership, there are going to be disagreements and um, it's, it's, we cannot be in relationship and not have disagreement. That just doesn't happen in our life. Uh, and, and disagreement does not have to end up in harmful communication. So I've talked about this sort of in the individual front, but if we were to map this on and we talk about, because I talk a lot about psychological safety and I talk a lot about it in organizations and, and community, when we think about the harm that is done inside of organizations because of a lack of ability or willingness to, mostly it's ability, but a lot of times it's even willingness to emotionally pause and pull back and regulate oneself internally before we speak. And sometimes it's because of privilege. And I'll just say that that is what it is. There are certain people in organizations who can emote and have no consequences for that emoting, right? So we have to look at how do we hold those people who have, who have historically been privileged to emote, whether it be emotion of anger or whether it be weaponizing tears, how do we hold people accountable for that while not suppressing the emotions of others? Because what happens is when those emotions are suppressed, when you, it's like filling a waste basket and filling the waste basket and filling the waste basket and never emptying the waste basket. Well, eventually, and even if you press down the trash, that waste basket is going to get full and it's going to overflow and sometimes even explode. So, or implode even, right? So even if you put the top on and you're filling it and the top's on, the top's on, the waste basket will expand and eventually crack or break. And that's what happens with people, by the way, when there's not that, when there's this suppression of another, um, this suppression, oppression of another. And so we have, you know, one group of people who ha have historically been privileged to be able to emote and not regulate themselves inside of that emotion. It's not that feeling emotion is bad and let's get that clear too. So emotions are normal process in the body that is a signal to the mind, to the brain, that something is either going well or not going well. And in experiencing the emotion, 
you can investigate and become curious with yourself as to, well, what is going on? What needs to be communicated? Where am I not being heard or held or, or where does something get touched or jabbed that needs to heal, right? Where is something unhealed that's been poked? And so it's not that the emotion itself is bad. It's the inability to put that pause and pull back on the reaction. I remember growing up and, and, and understanding this now from a generational standpoint, as a, as a next gen, my mom is a baby boomer and my dad is a baby boomer. And as baby boomers, they're, they have had a whole other conversation around expression of emotions called we don't. <laughs> we don't talk about it. We feel it, but we keep it moving. We don't talk about it. And, and a lot of my ex-gen colleagues would probably recognize and maybe agree with this. And so growing up, I didn't have this context for identifying, regulating any of that. And now as I grow up and go into a system where certain people have all of the context for emoting and in very harmful ways and myself not having that, that ability or that permission that the emotion went in, goes inward, right? This certain people like myself. And so it goes both ways for emotional regulation, whether you emote outwardly or whether you emote inwardly, it's important to be able to recognize and say, okay, what is it that I do to take care of myself in that moment so that I can come back and express and communicate what's really going on. When we have whole groups of people and organizations who are historically yelling and screaming and throwing chairs and, ex and then expecting the other population to be silent, that is extremely harmful. And it doesn't cultivate in any way a culture of safety. It does quite a bit of harm. And so it's, this is why skills like emotional intelligence are important to learn. And what's great about this particular skill is that it does impact one's entire life. And so what are the ways then that you can begin to practice this type of regulation? And I recommend, and many experts in my field recommend that you practice this before you get to extreme emotion, you practice this when you're in your normal interactions with people, because the more you practice it when you're in your normal interaction with people, the better you'll be able to do it when you come into an instance where you have an extreme emotion like anger or an extreme emotion like fear, and you're able to sort of regulate in that moment and do what needs to be done in order to get to the next action. So the first thing that you might want to do is have some type of anchor. 
And what do I mean by that? Neurologically speaking, or in terms of the nervous system, there are certain things that we can connect to that will immediately shift our moods. Now, we can have anchors that are physical, and we can have ones that are audible, and we can have ones that are visual, and so kinesthetic. And so it really depends on what tends to impact you more. Are you more of a visual person? Are you more of an audio person? Are you more of a kinesthetic person? And so sometimes if you have something visual or if you have, if there's a song, if you're able to step away in that moment, if there's a song you could hum to yourself, if there's a chant that you could say to yourself, right? These are some of the things that in the moment when you notice it, if you put that much of a pause into in between you and the actual outward reaction, whether it's a phrase, maybe it's asking yourself a question, how important is it, right? I actually had a client that uh, came to me and one of the things that she was struggling with was that emotional regulation and it had resulted in her being recommended to seek out coaching. And what we ended up doing was adding that one question in when she felt that emotion, how important is it? And that was enough of a pause for her to either turn and walk away or, you know, shift whatever she was going to do such that that next reaction didn't pour fuel onto the fire. And so what is that for you? Is that a song that you can hum in your mind? Is that a phrase that you can say to yourself? Is it looking a certain way or looking away and just shifting your view for a moment? Is it an immediate step back? What is that thing for you that will put the pause between you and the reaction? For many, it's a breath or five or 10. For myself, it is definitely a breath and a countdown. So this is a simple one that many people don't even think to do. It's just to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's just 10 seconds, even if it's five, but it's 10 seconds. It gives you the space between your what you're experiencing physically in that moment and the, and the reaction that happens such that you can redirect your behavior into something that's going to be more useful. And sometimes that thing that is more useful is removing yourself from the circumstance or the situation. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean that you never address what happened. And if you find that you cannot communicate what is going on in a way that's not going to, to fuel the situation more or, or create harm, then that may be the best option for the moment. And then you can come back and communicate that a bit later. So we have the counting, we have a breath, we have removing yourself, we have adding a sentence in, how important is it? Or whatever that sentence is in, maybe humming a song to yourself, maybe a chant, 
We have those things that we can do. And you may also think of things for yourself. And I, I say that because there are, there are hundreds of things in the moment that you can do to regulate yourself when you, when you get to that point, when you're in the office and, and someone says something and you're ready to just pop off or when, you know, you, you tell your, your uh, child to do something for the 50th time and, and, and you feel the rising emotion, right? When you're, when your spouse does something or your partner does something and, and it just hits that button, there are hundreds of things that you can do. And I can only, I mean, I can name as many as I can name. What's important is what works for you. And I always come back to that because we all, everyone has these different mental models, these different ways that we experience life. And what works for me may not be the thing that works for you. I gave you a couple of ideas. I want you to grab those ideas and I want you to go with them. And what my invitation is to you is to sit down and brainstorm because that's sometimes what we have to do rather than waiting for the moment to come and saying, oh gosh, what is that thing? What is that thing that I'm supposed to, what are one of those, maybe brainstorm in advance. Okay, these are things that I could try and have them ready in your mind. Because when when you're prepared, what they say, when you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And so I am, I invite you to sit down and brainstorm. What are some things, what are some anchors that I can put in place? Or what are some phrases or some things that I can put in place so that when those emotions start to rise, before it gets to that extreme emotion, I can pull back and take these actions and that helped to regulate myself so that I can either communicate in that moment or remove myself and come back later and say, hey, this doesn't work. So what are those things? I invite you to share this also with someone in your family, someone in your workplace, and in hopes that this is a skill that people will become more interested in acquiring because much of the conflict in our society today is is really centered around a lack of ability to emotionally regulate and communicate. You know, I said earlier in a post that communication is everything begins and ends in communication. And we experience emotion on a day-to-day basis, whether it be mild or moderate or, or extreme. We experience levels of emotion every single day on a day-to-day basis. And we are always in communication, whether we are speaking or not. So everything begins and ends in that communication. And, and if we begin to be interested and, and prioritize learning more deeply the skills of verbal and nonverbal communication and emotional regulation, emotional becoming more emotionally intelligent, then we will not only ourselves have, but we will begin to model something different for the people around us, for the generations to come. And that the, the uh, 
the ability to mitigate and solve conflict and mitigate harm will go a long, long way, both for people personally in our communities and in our organizations and businesses. And so with that, I will put a pin in it and pause. Um, I hope that everyone has a wonderful week. Once again, I invite you to share this episode because this is a skill that absolutely needs to be rippled out into our community. And finally, if you want to learn more about what I do, you can just visit the website, findremappingacademy.com, or we will make sure to put it all in the show notes as well. And so have a wonderful rest of the day and a wonderful rest of the week. Please put those pauses between your feelings and your reactions. And as always, stay empowered. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, I want you to apply these principles in your life every day. But also, I want you to share this podcast with others in your life who you think it could help, a friend, a colleague, or family member. And remember, go hit the subscribe button so you will know when our next episode is released. Finally, I'd really appreciate if you did me a favor and left a review. It really lets others know that this podcast can make a difference in their life as well. See you on the next episode.